Welcome to the Crank and Boom podcast. I am so excited you're here because I have such a treat for you today. My friend and incredible colleague, Chef Weta Michael of Holly Hill Restaurants is here to chat with me today. We are pulling back the curtain and chatting about one of many topics that we talk about in our own personal conversations. We are going to talk about disasters in business. When you run your business, it is really, really important to find other business owners, especially in your own industry, that you can lean on and talk to because it can be a very lonely road being an entrepreneur and having friends in the biz will help you feel less alone and then will also help you feel a little less crazy as you are going on your entrepreneurial journey. So I can't wait for you to meet our very, very special guest and our very first guest on the Crank and Boom podcast, Chef Weta Michael, or Aunt Kiki, as she is known in our family, is a dear, dear friend, confidant, hero, mentor, amazing human being that I have the privilege and honor of having in my life. Chef Weta has years of incredible experience in all facets of entrepreneurship and, like me, enjoys all the satisfying parts of running a business with an aspirational mission. She has worked hard to build what she has built in Kentucky with her restaurants, and she got recognition from the James Beard Foundation as a James Beard-nominated chef for all that she has done. But she's also an example of what it looks like when someone is at the top of their game, but they decide to go back to their roots and advocate for their community. Chef Weta took over the famous B&B Holly Hill Inn, one of my very most favorite restaurants in the whole world, and sparked a bluegrass culinary revolution. She and her husband, Chris, have now opened eight other dining experiences in central Kentucky and are leading the charge to launch a new generation of chefs and other culinary professionals that represent Kentucky in all of its beautiful diversity. Weta and her husband have been featured in lots of press outlets, and just to name drop a few, the New York Times, Southern Living, and CBS This Morning. But really, the main thing you need to know about Weta's commitment is that she loves her community. She is an incredible human being, and if you have the privilege of getting to know her, you are better for it. So I would love to welcome uh, my dear friend, Chef Weta Michael, to the Crank and Boom podcast. Thank you, Tao. My gosh, I feel like a hero's welcome. My goodness. You can call me a kiki throughout the interview. All right. I I love it. I love it. I and I am just so thrilled that you are here and that you agreed to be. I knew when we were thinking about this podcast that I wanted you to be our very first guest, not only because you have supported me and our family for uh, I think it's probably been 10 years at this point or more, but just because I I know that you are ju- you're just everything to me. And there's not enough podcast episodes for me to gush and talk about how much you mean to me. So thank you so much for being here. Well, yes, we've been friends a long time. And I love to say that my favorite qualification is that I was the Crank and Boom's first wholesale customer. Yes, you were. Your claim to fame. <laughs> yes. So I... Saw that ice cream, tasted it in its very early stages and knew it was going to be a huge hit. And I just, I've loved watching your company grow and um, I'm thrilled about the podcast and happy to be a part of it. And, And I think it's so neat what we're talking about today. 
because uh, so many times people on the outside of a business think that everything is, you know, oh, look at, they must just waltz around doing nothing, like eating cheese and drinking wine. <laughs> I I would love to get to a place where we, you and I and our husbands are sitting on a yacht eating cheese and wine and, and uh, reveling in the in the glory that it is to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and I thought it was going to be fun to talk about, you know, the behind the scenes, the things that maybe don't go so well sometimes, because we're, I mean, we're in hospitality. And so our goal in life is to make people happy and to create these wonderful experiences for our guests and to build incredible teams and to make yummy food and to do all the things. And and that I think comes with the persona of of us as entrepreneurs as well. And so I, I think it's also important as we are, you know, putting some some realism to to what it's like to be a small business owner of the things that are really tough and the things that, you know, don't go well all the time and and the challenges. Well, it's it's a roller coaster ride and you're living your dream out often, you know, when you're a small business owner. The lows can be very low and the highs can be very high. And over time, I, I at this point, I've been in business 23 years. The anniversary of the first day of our business at the Holly Hill Inn is May 9th, 2000. So this, in a little less than two weeks, we will celebrate 23 years in business. And I think the main phrase that guides my business experience is, this too shall pass. Well, Mike and I have our own saying, and because we're basketball fans, we use what they use in during March Madness, which is survive and advance. Survive and advance. Oh, I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna completely steal it. I survive in advance. I love it. When we have a tough day, we look at each other and we're like, just survive today and advance to tomorrow. That's that's all we can do. Well, I want to go. I want to go uh, back in time a little bit in the time machine. And I don't know if I've ever shared the story about my perspective when we first met. So I moved back to Kentucky in 2004 and started seeing you on TV because I didn't I didn't know who you were. I didn't know about your restaurants. And I just thought, who is this lady who is who loves Kentucky? Because I had stormed out of Kentucky in 2000 thinking that I would never work in food and would never come back to Kentucky ever again. And, you know, here we are. But I, you know, stormed away from Kentucky, not appreciating what how beautiful Kentucky is and how much I loved home until I was gone. And then I came back and I saw you on TV talking about Kentucky food and how much you just loved Kentucky. And I was like, oh, well, that's different. That was not, you know, most people we grow up with are trying to get out of Kentucky. And I started to follow you and and learn about who you were and learn about your food. And uh, one day, um, Mike was on the board of Food Chain, one of the nonprofits that you are a board member of. And he, we went to a, a fundraiser, I think, and I saw you across the room and talked to a mutual friend of ours, Megan Winfield, and said, uh, is that we? Is that Chef Wita across the room? And and I asked her. I was like, "Will you please introduce us?" She's like, "Oh yeah." So she, you know, we went across the room, and I introduced myself. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I think it was along the lines of, "Hi, Chef Wita. I, I, you are my hero. I love you so much. Can we be friends?" Well, we became friends that very moment. It's funny. We just have clicked 
and so many, I mean, we've been a real support to one another. I think you always talk about how I'm a support to you, but honestly, I feel the, I've gotten way more support from you than I've ever given. And you know, that's what it takes. That's what you said earlier in your introduction is like, it takes a village and it takes a safety net of friends and of family members to support a small business. It's not an individual effort. That's a myth that needs to go by the wayside in our community because it takes, yeah, it takes a village for sure. And what I love so much about our restaurant community here in central Kentucky is that it's very much collaboration over competition. And I think that's unique to our area where, you know, when I first started to talk to you, there was no ice cream business in the, in the works. It was just, we had our Thai restaurant and I said, I'm thinking of opening a noodle shop. Can you help me kind of think through that? And you said, oh yeah, absolutely. Let's get a plan and let's talk about it. And that kind of kicked off our, you know, our tea dates that we would have on the porch of Holly Hill. And I think that's such a welcome breath of fresh air in an industry that's very competitive where, you know, we support each other. And even though we're in the same industry and, you know, we love our friends that are also in the ice cream industry or frozen desserts and want to support each other because I think there's room for everybody to win. I believe that. And I think that what I've really wanted to do, one reason I moved back to Kentucky, because, you know, my husband's from New York and I trained in New York City and lived there for some years is I wanted to come home because I felt like there was an opportunity here to build an incredible food community that supported the larger central Kentucky community. And anytime you make your food culture and your food community richer, not only does it bring a level of happiness to the people around you and improve the quality of life for everyone in the community, it really creates a rich environment for your business to thrive. So it's good on a personal perspective and a community perspective, but also great from a business perspective. So I really felt like, and I know that you feel that way. I've watched you in action. I I know that's the way you conduct business. And so, yeah, I keep hoping you're going to open that Thai noodle shop again. I actually asked Mike last night and I said, you know, is there any scenario in life that you, because we, we always reminisce about the Thai restaurant and we were talking about um, my mom's fried chicken and like the peanut chicken and pineapple tangerine chicken and how much we missed just having it available at our fingertips. And then we, I mean, then we snowball into like, can we do a fried chicken restaurant? And then, you know, we just kind of banter back and forth. And I was like, is there any scenario where in life where we would, you know, do something like that? And, and ultimately it was uh, a no, not at this point <laughs> in our life, but, but, but it's fun to think about. And, you know, the pieces that we miss about running the restaurant. Well, you, you know, your claim to fame is being Crank and Boom's first wholesale customer. And I, I want to kind of dig into a little bit of history because we are celebrating our 10th birthday this year on May 16th of 2023. And, uh, and that just blows my mind that we've survived this long because it feels like it feels like it's been a, a blink. And then it also feels like it's been about 100 years that we've been doing this. <laughs> but what what was your thought? And I, I have no memory of like the first time I talked to you about ice cream. Do you have a memory of what it was like in those very beginning days when Crank and Boom started? Well, I do because you and Mike, we haven't done this enough lately now that you 
have kiddos and my kiddos flown the nest, but it was a little intense getting her launched. Um, but we have this lovely history of having tea together in the early morning and talking through ideas that we have uh, about our businesses. And, and I remember you and Mike coming and we were sitting on the porch and you had been talking about making the ice cream at, at your restaurant and the Thai orchid and how it was going and it was so great. And we had known each other for a while at that point, right? I think, I think we'd so. known each other for at least a year. Mm-hmm. We'd been, yeah, at least a year because we'd gone to the Kentucky Proud Food Show and all this stuff. And I started thinking about that. And I, at that time, was the chef in residence at Woodford Reserve Distillery. And we were doing a big dinner and I was like, oh, who could make me some ice cream? I need to get some bourbon ice cream. And at that time, there was no, there was really, you guys were really the very first, like, artisan, homemade, homemade from a Lexington perspective, ice cream that was our community ice cream. That was Crank and Boom. And really, in my mind, it's it still is Crank and Boom. And so I, I think I just called you or emailed you and asked you for a bourbon honey ice cream, and you produced a three-gallon tub. And then Mike, remember the health department came and they were like, you can't be wholesaling this ice cream without a special wholesale permit. And he was so grumpy because he had to go through the whole kitchen. The state health department had to come and re-examine the entire Thai orchid kitchen. And he would remember how mad he was. He was so mad. So, but anyway, he gets, he gets grumpy about it, but then he like totally makes it happen. Did I ever tell you how that whole thing came about? Is like what, how we got no. the call about the permitting. You'll, you'll love this. So we were delivering to County Club, uh, also one of our first wholesale customers and we usually sold them like two three quarts like smaller containers and Mike and I were delivering in a cooler you know in our van and you know we had we had it on ice like it was at temperature so there was no like safety issue and so we're we're delivering it brought it into the restaurant at that moment there was a tour of state health inspectors coming out of food chain that somehow saw us from across the street and I don't know who they called or how they found out who we were but you know later that day or a few days later we get a call saying hey if you're trying to sell wholesale you got to go through this other whole department at the state and you got to get this permit and so I you know we weren't doing anything that was food unsafe it was just a paperwork thing that was missed and you know it still kind of bogs my mind how how it was missed but alas these things happen and so we got the paperwork squared away everything was fine and then I was able to you know continue our sales but I definitely felt pretty embarrassed when I had to call you I was like I'm sorry we can't I'm just gonna have to put this on hold for a little bit because we screwed something up I and I think you know for Tao for so many people all of the bureaucratic part it feels overwhelming and like insurmountable in a way when you have a little idea or project. And I think you and I both would want to encourage people to like, hey, just jump in and swim, you know, do some research and reach out to those organizations. And and it it doesn't like in my mind, that didn't take any time. It took like five minutes. Okay, it took two weeks, but like two weeks out of a 10 year history of really successful ice cream sales is, is not much, you know, not much pain for the gains. You were talking about how upset Mike was, and I remember him 
talking to one of our regulators and because of the way we were producing our ice cream, we weren't allowed to call it ice cream. So ice cream is a regulated term, kind of like bourbon. There's all these rules that you can't label something ice cream unless it meets these certain parameters to the regulatory body. You know, we were making it with cream milk sugar. And because of who we were sourcing it from, they weren't allowing us to call it ice cream. We had to call it frozen dessert. I remember Mike saying something like, I don't care if you, what am I supposed to call it? Spaghetti and meatballs. I just need you to tell me what we're supposed to do so we can call it ice cream. And it just, it's just this kind of endless frustration when you're getting started and you just want someone to tell you what you need to do so you can do it and follow all the rules and you know check off all your boxes but inevitably I think it's just whether you're in food or or a different industry like you're just going to run into these snags and the best way you can deal with it is to do the best you can and I like you said I think it's it's all it's very much I'm not for the like do something and be forgiven when it comes to regulatory things I think it's much much better to reach out to those people that are you know, who are your regulators and ask them for advice. I don't think anybody, most people are not out to get you to try to shut you down. They are trying to make sure you're compliant. And if you reach out and really ask for help beforehand, it's always better to at least get some initial advice before trying to figure it out on your own. And most people I found have been very, very helpful in saying like, you need this form and you need to go through this person and we'll need to do this inspection. But yes, it can be very daunting and just a frustrating process for sure. Yeah. Then it's like overnight, you're now certified for wholesale ice cream sales. Um, But I remember that that was a big deal, like to get that flipped so that we could buy ice cream from you. And then very shortly thereafter, by the time you opened in May, and by the time we opened Smithtown Seafood, which was in September, we had a crank boom freezer the day we opened Smithtown Seafood. It's still there today, 10 years later, and it was filled. It's co-branded with crank boom ice cream on both sides, and it's filled with the crank boom ice creams for everybody eating at Smithtown Seafood and drinking beer at West Six. So, I mean, I remember that in that little incubation period, you were doing things like beer milkshakes with the stout <laughs> at West Sixth. And, and then we had that little ice cream freezer. And then we put the ice cream freezer at Woodford Reserve. And it was a huge hit at Woodford Reserve. Everybody who came to that distillery got the Crank and Boom ice cream and especially the bourbon honey flavor. And then we had an ice, we, we still have the ice cream freezer at Wallace Station, huge hit there. Even through COVID, remember we put the big Crank and Boom sign on the back of the building and people would come up to the outside window to get their ice cream. So it's been a long partnership, but it was really interesting watching you go through that transition because your parents were very involved in Thai Orchid and your mom as a gifted chef was the culinary, you know, inspiration behind that restaurant. And so changing from that, it must've been, I know it was emotionally, you know, an up and down process too, to say, we're going to go toward ice cream and we're going to kiss the Thai orchid goodbye. And, and doing that, that's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, we definitely that was one of the the real pivotal moments. And, you know, saying goodbye to, you know, not just the nine years that we had spent building Thai Orchid, but almost saying goodbye to my entire childhood because I spent it in our other Thai restaurant. And 
you know, shifting into something different that was completely unknown. Uh, at the time, I believe our total family income was, you know, 80 something percent Thai orchid and only the remainder of that is ice cream. But I don't know. I think there was something in us that we just knew that this was what we had to do. And if we were going to try to make this thing successful, like we, we just had to be all in. And that meant we had to say goodbye to, as Mike had said at the time, we have to say goodbye to one dream to chase a bigger dream. Hey friends, Tao here, popping in to share my excitement about one of my favorite companies in the whole world, Holly Hill & Co. If you are like me and are obsessed with food, especially local food, you will appreciate those special ties that happen around the table. Holly Hill & Co. believes, like I do, that food creates connection and community unlike anything else. That's why they take care to strengthen the ties across the generations between family, the farmer, and the land, all the way to the food that ends up on your table. You can experience exactly what this means at one of Holly Hill's nine unique Central Kentucky restaurants and through their beautiful emails. If you're in Kentucky, be sure to find the nearest location and get ready for an amazing experience with the most fantastic food. Holly Hill's co-founder is none other than my dear friend, James Beard-nominated chef Weta Michael, who's been a force on the Kentucky food scene for over 20 years. Learn more about their incredible food community by visiting hollyhillandco.com, where you'll find stories, recipes, how-tos, and even curated gifts. Again, that's hollyhillandco.com, and let them know that Tao from Crank and Boom sent you. If you've been listening to the show for a little bit now, you know that I believe in the emotional and magical power of food. A big part of the mission statement of Crank and Boom is igniting laughter and spreading joy. Ice cream is our gateway of delivering that to people, and Gold Belly is our partner in the actual delivery of our ice cream to all 50 states. They ship the most famous, the most regional, iconic food from all around the country right to your door. So even if you don't live in the place you grew up, but you really miss your New York bagels or Southern fluffy biscuits, you can get them shipped to wherever you'd like. Additionally, you can try foods from famous chefs like Nancy Silverton or Danny Meyer. Gold Belly is America's number one food marketplace for all your foodie dreams. If you haven't taken advantage of Gold Belly's amazing offerings, run over there right now to their website, goldbelly.com and ship yourself a little happy today. That's goldbelly.com, and be sure to add a collection or two of Crank and Boom ice cream to your cart while you're at it. I think looking back in our 10-year history, there are so many of our turning points and big, big moments involved you and your support of us, and not just our partnership in wholesale, but one of my most prominent memories is our chef exchange that we did at Holly Hill Inn. And you you do an around the world uh, series in the in the first quarter at Holly Hill. And you asked me if if we would come do Thai night, my mom and I. And this is when we had Thai Orchid. And I was I was terrified because I said, you know, I I was like, I, I, we can't leave our restaurant. Like, how does that even work? You know, we don't have backup chefs. Well, and I told you that and you just said, well, well, I'll just send you my chefs. And that just completely blew my mind. I was like, well, they, they don't know how to cook Thai food. <laughs> they don't know our menu. But you just, you said, 
I got two chefs. They'll go over there. They'll work your restaurant so you can stay open and you and your mom will come over to our place and we'll have our event. And that was literally the first time that I left our restaurant while it was open and operating. And it just, it completely opened the world to me in that, you know, obviously we see other people that have restaurants that they're not in there cooking 24-7. But at the time in my own world, it that didn't seem feasible. And you yeah. created this opportunity for Mike and I to see a different way of running business. It wasn't about the chef exchange, but it was about your generosity and wanting us to to join your world. And so much of when you're up and coming, whether you're a chef or you're a business person, having someone who is experienced and has some clout in the community go to bat for you and to promote you and to say, hey, this is really good. I mean, that I think that was everything in the beginning to say that well, Chef Vita Michael has our product in her store and that to other people will say, oh, well, it must that must be good. If she's doing it, then I'll, you know, they were willing to jump on that bandwagon because, you know, when there's a new product involved, you just, you just don't know. And so I think, you know, cause we were talking about finding people and mentors in your industry. It's just so important to find somebody that is willing to go to bat for you. And so that, you know, that chef exchange night in 2013, just it changed everything for us. And then and then I didn't want to cook at all because I was like, oh, there's another way to do this. <laughs> that night lives in my memory so much because before that, in the first year that we had Holly Hill in, when we, you know how much I love international cuisine. So I did a menu called Bangkok and the Bluegrass. And that goes down as one of the culinary fails of the Holly Hill Inn. Now, let me tell you, the food was outstanding. It was really good. But the clientele, it's a 150-year-old home that's a restaurant, right? And we're in this little town. And the clientele coming into the Holly Hill Inn to get the Bangkok and the Bluegrass menu, they were mad, mad, mad. Because I didn't tell anybody what it was. I just like, oh, coming to the Holly Hill Inn that night. It's Bangkok and the Bluegrass. Here's your smoked catfish larb and your, you know, your all your curries. So that had been years before. And Chris Michael made me swear I would never cook Thai food as the menu again. And I'm like, oh, I can't promise that. I mean, I love the flavors. And so then when it was time for you and Sue to come and be our chefs, at that point I had learned, we have to advertise this and tell everybody that ice cream sundae that you made with the peanuts and the sticky rice. Oh my, oh, I love that dish. But I, I loved all of those dishes and I loved that whole event so much. I remember at the end of the night sitting around the big round table in the dining room and you know, it was your mom and dad and your brother and sister and everybody and that whole table was complete mess. Everything had been like, there was dishes all over it. It was just fantastic. It, it will be a night I will never forget in my life. I loved the food. I love the experience of cooking with you and with your mom so much. I have so much respect for her and the care and compassion and the attention to detail that she has in her own cooking and her willingness to share. She has this incredible, if you're coming to her place, she herself is cooking your food. And that's how yeah. she trained you to, to be too. It was really nice. Right. It's it. very personal for mom and, mm -hmm. you know, for all of us. But 
yeah, her recipes, she, when we kind of retired them out of Thai Orchid, it was funny. You'll, you'll love this story. She, we're like, mom, we have to have something to give other people to help produce the stuff that you do. And when I call her, I'm like, mom, how do you make whatever? And she said, just, just add this until it tastes right. <laughs> it's like, mom, we can't write that on a recipe card for someone else to follow. I was like, can you give me like at least just a base of like what you do? So I had to just watch her and like write down my own approximations. And then sometimes when she would like give us recipes, she would also leave stuff out on purpose. And when I would ask her about it, I was like, this doesn't taste right. And she's like, oh, well, you have to add another, you know, another like few shakes of this secret thing that she left off the list. <laughs> And so it's, a, you know, getting a recipe from mom is is fairly unreliable. But yeah, the absolute best, amazing, talented chef in the entire world with everything she makes. I don't know how she does it. You know, we work side by side for six, seven years, at least on the line. And that is one of the greatest gifts of my entire life is that she shared that knowledge with me. And that will be her legacy. Her family and her food is is her legacy her legacy. But, you know, we, of course, we can talk about Thai food and, and all sorts of food things uh, <laughs> forever and ever and ever. And we definitely will need future podcast episodes to go into other things. But I remember you had said something where you were curing your own fish and that became an issue with somebody. Well, so when we opened our bakery, we had bagels and locks on the menu because, you know, Chris is from New York. And I've made my own locks, I don't know, for decades, you know, for a long, long time. But the health department, and, and I'm not really knocking the health department here, I'm teasing them. But so we had that on our menu, house cured locks, and a customer, I guess somebody came in, I don't know who they were, but reported it to the health department. And the health department came and did an inspection. And then they said, do you have a variance? And I'm like, no, I don't have a variance, but I have like an appropriate refrigerator and I'm a licensed commercial kitchen and I have a serve safe certification and blah, blah, blah. But there is a variance that you have to have for certain things like pickles, curing your own meats or fish. There are several variances that you have to, so it requires like a special training. Actually, what some people don't know is to use a sous vide machine, you have to have a special variance for that from the health department. And they have a little training program that they put you through and you have to, yeah. Well, I can understand. I mean, as technology increases in, in food production and, and, and evolves, just making sure that people have the right kind of training is really important for the health department to do, but it is surprising at times <laughs> when you've been a chef for 35 years <laughs> and all of a sudden everything changes. Yeah. Right. Well, and rules evolve and that can be a frustrating process too when rules change and you don't necessarily know about it. But I think, you know, for us, we've always just tried the best we can stay calm try to just roll with it because again like it feels very big like a big problem when you're dealing with it at the time but then when you can like you said look back over 10 years it was a very small blip in the whole the whole big scheme of things even though if it can feel really big at the time when you're dealing with different issues so do you have a favorite like business disaster that you can you can share on this public forum and then if you if you have one that you can't share, you can tell me later in private because I'd like to hear about it. I'm happy to share them. 
uh, always, most of my business disasters involve the failure of utilities. And I think everything in the restaurant business boils down to plumbing, sewage, and garbage. Yes. (laughs) So if you don't have great plumbing and you don't have excellent garbage storage and garbage, you know, processes, you're in for a treat. You know, you're going to have trouble. There are two plumbing disasters. This was several years ago. But, you know, the Holly Hill Inn is a really old restaurant. And we had rebuilt the kitchen. So we'd replaced all the plumbing in the kitchen. All copper pipes, all PVC pipe, everything was new. But down in the basement, the main sewer line that went out to the city sewer was still cast iron. And we knew we would have to replace it at some point. We were kind of saving money for that. So this was early on, like within the first two years of operating. So one day the pipe gets clogged. That happens. You call the Roto-Rooter people. Thankfully, we hadn't opened yet. We were not open for business yet, but it was like a Friday night. It was very busy. And I call the, the plumbers to come out. They're down in the basement snaking the line. And all of a sudden, one of the plumbers comes up to the top of the basement stairs and he says, who's in charge here? And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, not me. His name's Chris. <laughs> the plumbing, the old cast iron pipe ran along the basement wall. And the basement at the Holly Hill Inn was dug in the late 1700s. It is, it's the original basement to a structure that was built there in probably like 1790. So it's already really scary. And we try not to go down there much. And the entire cast iron pipe had broken and all of the caca, shall we say, was running down the walls of the basement. So I was like, okay. Um, And that involved, you know, shutting down, shutting the basement door, getting everyone out. And then we I don't know how. We had a really wonderful group of employees. We went to Lowe's. We got all of the like huge gloves. I felt like hazmat suits. We had like bleach, hazmat suits, uh, shop vacs, which were then had to be discarded. Oh, yeah. Oh, we yes. Got, we cleaned out the basement. We disinfected it. We had a professional company come in and do it after we had done the first part. And then we replaced all of those lines. But that was a, a lesson in when you open that's when you're going to have the most money you'll ever have in operating. That's when you have your seed money, your investment capital, and don't prioritize anything over your plumbing. Yes. Don't skimp on plumbing. You will regret it Do not later. Skimp on plumbing. My second plumbing story is easier. It's not, it does not involve any like disgusting aspects. The Holly Hill Inn has been a very popular place to get married over the years, but I don't love to cater weddings. I I shouldn't say that on a national podcast, but weddings, I think require a very dedicated team and they require people who really love weddings. So we do have that team on now. We do have that team of people and they handle weddings, you know, that work for me and they love weddings and they love brides and they love the whole thing. Well, we had this big, wedding for a personal friend out in the front yard of Holly Hill Inn. And I was thrilled to do her wedding and honored. So when they were setting up the tent in the front yard, unbeknownst to us, they accidentally, and we had all the lines marked, they accidentally spiked one of the water lines. Oh no. Which we did not realize because the wedding went off without a hitch, no issues. But when they came back, this was just a couple years ago, when they came back to take the tent down, they removed the stake. And then we developed a geyser in the front yard, literally (laughs) 
12 foot geyser of water oh my God. Um, shooting water in the entire town of Midway got got turned off. Uh, oh my God. And they had to come. <laughs> the entire, the entire had, city I, shut down. Oh yeah. Thank you. And, thank and you, Chef Rita. me like, <laughs> yeah, really. Thank the you, Chef Rita, calling, pillar, like, pillar of the community. Exactly. Well, people aren't really mad at you, but like, how did this happen? I'm like, what do you mean? How did it happen? I didn't freaking drive the stake in there. You know, like I was, but it was just a mistake. <laughs> they had to dig a huge trench, replace the water supply line, try to, they had to turn the water off because of where the break had occurred was in this fork. It was not a good situation. It was an insane day. And we lived in a swamp for a few weeks after. <laughs> so much it dried out. Oh my gosh. Well, I could talk to you forever and always, which means we just have to bring you back for a future episode that we maybe talk about something a little more cheery. But I think it's I think it's important that we shed a little light on things that don't always go right because that is just part of being in business. But I think both of us are examples that it, you can get through it. And with the right team in your corner, you can get through it with grace and humility and all the things that come with it. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so, so much for being here. Like I said, we could, I mean, we could talk forever and always and, you know, it, it would never end. And the joy that you bring my life and our family's life and the support that you have given us is immeasurable. And I am forever indebted and grateful that we get to be friends and get to do life together. So thank you for being here and for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom. And I know that we'll have another episode together soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Crank and Boom podcast. If you want business advice and tactics like this every week, click that follow button wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode with us. Also, if you like what you heard today, it would mean so very much to me if you would leave us a review. That helps other people find us, and I would also love to hear more about what topics you'd like for us to dive into on the show. I can't wait to meet you here again soon. Until next time, peace! This is a production of Four Eyes Media.